hands high now. Ushers will bring Bibles to you. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Matthew 15 in its entirety. That first word connects us with the previous chapter where Jesus had healed so many who were sick in that whole region. So verse 1 of chapter 15 says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the mouth come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I will send only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. 
and directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. May God give us understanding in this portion of scripture that we read and we'll be preaching through this morning. If you would, remain standing with me. We'll bow for a word of prayer. Then after prayer, a choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word for today. Let us pray. Father, we pray today thanking you for who you are, thanking you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross has provided the forgiveness, the payment for all of our sin. If we would but trust him and turn our hearts to him, we have that forgiveness for you, that grace that comes from you through the death of Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing us to gather today and to worship, to praise, and to proclaim your word. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us understand your word, that we might grow in our relationship with you, in our faith for you, growing in sharing and living your word, communicating that truth to others who need to know you. If there's anyone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, does not have that relationship with you that's possible only through faith in Christ. We pray that you speak to that heart today, move in that heart to draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those who proclaim Christ, that we might be encouraged, motivated, challenged, rebuked where necessary to turn, to confess, to repent, to live faithfully for you, to honor Christ in all that we do, to put him first in our lives as we live, to live this out before others so that they might see our good works and glorify you, Father, in heaven. We pray for those who are facing adversity of whatever kind. It could be financial. It could be a loss of a loved one. It could be physical we pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to you, who is all-sufficient for all of our needs. Draw us into that trust and dependence on you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. have noticed in this series in Matthew that 
there is a wave of resistance to Jesus Christ, opposition to him, and it is growing and growing and growing. We see that Jesus is responding to that opposition. Even in his preaching, he preached through them in parables. And he explained why he used the parable is because their hearts were turned away from him and they could not understand and would not understand. And in essence, he's spoken in code. But God's people understood or got the explanation. Peter would pull him aside and, and ask him to explain a parable, and he would, and, and they, would, they would get it. I think sometimes they would hang on to it, and later on, the Holy Spirit, through their experiences, even after Jesus was resurrected, would open their eyes to that truth and help them understand. You can see in the epistles, you can see in the book of Acts, you can see where they would think back on what Jesus said and a light would go on. They said, wow, that's what he was talking about. Here we see that in the first part of this chapter, you can see how the opposition is mounting when it says, then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now he had been ministering in that Galilee area, and that's far north of Jerusalem. And now you got the crowd, you got the bigwigs coming up from the big city, from the headquarters, and they're challenging Jesus. Let's look at this challenge and then let's put this whole chapter in perspective and see what God is teaching us because it's connected. And God wants you to see the connection of his word. It's not just like isolated incidences in, in Jesus' life. He wants us to see what's going on and the connection. So I pray that we can make that connection and see and then order our lives accordingly. So we see this struggle. The Pharisees come and they say to Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Now, our little ones are listening to that and say, hey, that makes sense. I've been told that ever since I can remember to wash my hands before I eat. Is Jesus teaching that we don't have to do that anymore? No, he's not teaching that. You need to understand that they had a tradition of washing their hands that was no longer a hygiene it had become to them a practice of holiness. In John chapter 2, there, the wedding, um, when Jesus turned the water to wine, they brought these huge vessels of water. They would practice this cleansing, uh, 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 this, this ritual for washing their hands. So it's not like they had to get them clean. It's like they were doing it as a ritual and a practice. And here it tells us they're talking about the traditions of men. What you need to know is this contrast that Jesus makes to the tradition of men and the commandment of God. He says to them right away, you want to come at me for not following the traditions of men why don't you obey the commandment of God? Traditions are, are, are something that we make a practice of doing, be for various reasons we enjoy. Traditions in themselves are not bad. You have traditions in your own home. You have traditions for birthdays. You have traditions for holidays and uh, what do you do, how you get together and, and, and how you enjoy or how you observe those things. And, and once you start those, you'll, start, you'll probably keep that practice and it becomes a tradition. It becomes a regular or habit. Those aren't necessarily bad. The problem here is when they put them over and above what God has commanded. A tradition is something that, that you have set as a practice. A commandment is something that God has demanded. It's not an option. You don't get to tweak it and do it as you like. It's a command. 
And so Jesus makes a, a, a contrast here with those two things. Let's get into that a little bit. He says, why do you break the commandment of God, verse uh, 3, for the sake of your tradition? And he explains, for, the, for God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. In other words, when you disrespect the parent that God has placed as the authority for you, you're going against God's command what he has commanded us to do. By the way, parents, note that. Stop thinking that your child's disobedience is just against you and you have the choice to take it lightly and to treat it as you please. You don't. Your child's obedience or disobedience is going against the authority that God has placed and they do that to their own peril. Bible says... Obey your mother and father that you may live. He said it. And we want to make it optional. Oh, Donnie, I, I, I asked you to do this, but if you don't do it, oh, okay, I guess we'll adjust to that. The problem there is God doesn't give them that option. And you gave them an option of disobeying you and thus disobeying God, and God's not going to treat them like that. God's going to require their obedience and hold them accountable to that. He expects you to do that to prepare them for him. And he's going to challenge you when you fail to do that. Now, here we have a problem, not of those who wouldn't take authority, but those who want to usurp their own authority over and above God. And Jesus calls them out on that. Jesus is, is referring to God requiring the honoring of parents. And the Jews had a tradition to say, and he explains it, he says in verse 5, but you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. But they're saying they had a tradition to say, okay, you are going to commit things and give to your parents, but you can, you have all you have a, 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 a choice, an alternative to say, eh, I'm going to donate that to God. And so I don't have to respect my parents. Now, you can imagine why the Pharisees would do such a thing, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right? They always say, follow the money. Follow the money. Pharisees basically saying, hey, look. You ain't got to take care of mom and dad. Get that to us. Give it to the temple. Give it to the church. Give it, give it, to, give it to the spiritual authority and we let you off the hook. God said, you didn't have the right to do that. You didn't have the right to do that. Verse 6, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. They have set a tradition that is opposed by the word of God, and they have set their tradition over the word of God, and Jesus calls them out on it. quite strongly calls them out. I might add verse 7, he says, you hypocrites. That's a strong word. Especially to a religious group of leaders. That's a strong word. Too, too often today, people are acting like Jesus really was a wimp and afraid to confront or challenge anything or anybody, but the opposite is true. Not only that, but he called the people to himself and teach, to, to teach them and make an example of the Pharisees. That's where we get, first of all, he quotes scripture, verse 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
That was the problem with the Pharisees. They, they were all talk and no action. And th- that very thing is warning us about being talk and no action. As we come into worship today, make sure that the songs that we sing, we are singing them with our hearts. And that we are encouraged then to live that out. Not to just say it and walk away as if our saying of it was enough. God wants you to live out this commitment, this walk with him. This people honor me with their lips. They sang real good. They talked real good. But they lived no. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They have put the commandments of men, the traditions of men, over and above God's word. And Jesus calls them out. Then it says in the next part, he, he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. In other words, he got the group and explained his address to the Pharisees. And he explained it this way. It's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. And again, that's a parable that he didn't give the immediate explanation or interpretation for. And so Peter comes to him, said the disciples there. The disciples came and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Now, what did Jesus say about that? Oh, I'm sorry, my bad. I didn't mean to offend nobody. He didn't say that. In other words, he said with intent what he said, and it was directed exactly towards the Pharisees. What did he say? Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. He says, these folks ain't real. They weeds. They're not real plants. They're not what my Father has planted. They're the opposite. The enemy has planted them. And God's going to tear them out and throw them out. He already talked about parables of, of the, the, the son, the, the man who planted the seed. He planted good seed or he gave good seed to his servants and they planted good seed. And at night, the enemy came in and planted weeds. Later on, the, the servants noticed, hey, you know, this, this field don't look too good. I thought we planted the best seed we had. And I'm sure we did, but... It's got weeds all in it. Where did the weeds come from? So yeah, the enemy came at night and planted these weeds. He said, well, master, do you want us to go and pull out all the weeds? No, no, don't pull out the weeds. That's to wait to the harvest. Let them both grow up together. And at the harvest, we're going to pull them both. We're going to take the weeds and we're going to throw them and burn them. And we're going to take the crops and we're, we're going to take those and enjoy those or use that for the purpose that they have. Every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. He doesn't even stop there. Let them alone. Don't comfort them. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He doubles back on his on his comments towards them. It's now Peter who says, explain the parable. What what, what did you mean about what goes, what comes out of the mouth is what defiles, it's not what goes in the mouth. And he explains it. He said, don't you understand when you eat something, passes through your system, your system rejects it or, or puts it out. But whatever it is that comes out of your mouth comes out from the heart, and that's what's going to really do your harm. It's the sin that we have within our heart that we're judged by. And he makes that clear. He says, it's not what washing with unwashed hands that defiles a person. In other words, he's saying, look, you're spending all this time cleaning your hands so your food we clean, but it's not really for food, it's for show. And your heart is filthy. You haven't done a thing to it. 
It's like somebody having an old wrecked up beater and they wash it and wax it. And the rust is falling apart and the engine ain't worth two cents. They ain't checked the oil in years. But they're going to wash and wax the outside. Jesus continually referred to the Pharisees in that way. He says, in fact, the analogy he used, he says, you are a wash, you are a whitewashed tomb. In other words, you are a coffin that's been scrubbed and washed on the outside, and it looks so nice. Inside is the place where dead people are. He described the Pharisees that way. And then you wonder what the next story means then. It talks about this Canaanite woman in verse 21. And there's hints to it. First of all, it says he went away from there. And he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. This is outside the nation of Israel. He goes outside and away. People still have heard about him here, and he goes there. It says a Canaanite woman. That is a Gentile, one who's not a part of the nation of Israel. This woman comes around a crowd, and it says she was crying. And she cried this, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She's not a part of the nation of Israel. She's not a part of what would be the family of God, but she still acknowledges who Jesus is and knows that there's something special about him. And at the very least, she knows that he has the power over wicked spirits, over demons, because the problem that her daughter has is she is oppressed with demons. So who does she come to? She doesn't go to the psychiatrist or the psychologist or the medical doctor for drugs. She comes to the one she knows can gain victory over this thing. She comes to Jesus. But Jesus has a strange response to her. First of all, she doesn't even get to speak directly to Jesus. She has to go through the disciples. That shows you something about what the disciples are doing. They're like, hey, man, we in a strange country here. Don't just let anybody come on up and approach them. They got to go through us. These Gentiles, man, you know, don't know what the kind of folk they are. So, You know that because it says his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away. She is crying out after us. She's getting on our nerve, man. She just won't shut up. She won't quit. Man, at least tell her to leave. Get her out of here. Now, so it seems like it's unusual the treatment that Jesus has, but keep it in mind that he doesn't put her out as the disciples want him to do. He uses her to make a point, and that's what he's doing. What is the point? Let's see what it has. It says, she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <laughs> he's saying, which is true, and, and I think we don't always understand it. Isn't it Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What's the next? Unto the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. In other words, God has a specific plan in saving his people. And he has come according to that plan. His son, in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Jesus came, he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. And then what happened? But, as many as, but to as many as did receive him, he gave them the authority to become the child of God. In other words, his plan was to come to Israel as his people first, and then to go out from there. 
You, you, you can see that all through Scripture. If I can real quickly, you can see that in the promise to Abraham. But I want to go to the psalm, Psalm 67, real quick, um, just to just shine a, a real light on there. God's plan was always to reach out to what we would call Gentiles, those who were not originally part of this special group called his people. And he, in fact, planned to do that through the people that was part of this special group called his people. And, 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 and let me just share real quick. Um, Psalm 67. This is a prayer. This is prayer for the nation of Israel. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That would be a prayer that any proud Israelite will pray. And we can duplicate that prayer today. God bless me, right? I'm yours. I'm part of your people. You are my shepherd. I'm your sheep. Bless me. Make your face to shine. In other words, look, look well on us and, 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 and be pleasing, act in pleasing ways towards us because we are your people. Make your face to shine upon us. Then is what, called, what we call a purpose phrase. Why should God bless his people and make his face shine on his people? What's God's motivation in blessing you as his people? What's God's motivation in blessing his, the nation Israel, his people? What is, what is he doing through that? What is his plan that he's working out through that? Verse 2, Psalm 67. That your way may be known in Israel. In Israel? Not just Israel. Yes, starting in Israel, but throughout the whole earth. That's his purpose. This is Old Testament. In other words, God always had this purpose. All the sons of Adam are God's creation. All are not his people, because they haven't become his people by faith. But he is reaching out to all to bring them in. And he's doing that through his people, just like he's doing that through his son to reach his people, Israel, to reach the lost from all over. So he says that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among what? All nations, plural. That's why we stand before you today. Amen. I'm not of Jewish heritage. You know, you don't have to do like the black Israelites and try to link yourself somehow and play with the words so that you somehow are, are, are linked. And they want to link themselves in and link everybody else out. That's crazy. You don't have to do that. He says it right here. Then he says this. Why should God bless us and make his face shine upon us that his way might be known on all the earth, among all nations? And then he says this. Here, here's, what, here's, here's what I'm going for. Let the peoples praise you, O God. That verse has always hit me because, you know, I'm like, that ain't good English. <laughs> I didn't know people was pluralized by putting an S on it. I thought people was persons plural already. But he's talking about there are people here and people there, people of this nation and people of that nation. I want all the peoples, all of them, every nation, every kingdom, every tribe, every language. I am reaching out to everyone. I'm not talking about universalism. Universalists say God going to save everybody regardless of what. No, this says God will save from every nation those he is calling to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So God, you bless me. Why? So that I can be a blessing. I can be a part of taking your word and making it known, your way and making it known all across the earth. Let all the people Praise you. Verse 4, let the nations, plural, be glad and sing for joy. It's not just Israel that's supposed to be praising and singing and, and, and worshiping God. Let the nations, 
We are part of the answer to that prayer. Verse 5, he repeats it the good. You know it's good when a song says something twice, right? Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That's his purpose. Go back to Matthew 15. So he says to this woman, or he doesn't say anything to this woman at first, and the disciples said, well, why don't you just let us get rid of her? He said, um, and she's come directly to him now. Notice her posture when she comes. Let's go back to Matthew. When he didn't answer, the disciples said, why don't you get rid of her and send her away? He says to the disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I imagine they relayed that message back to her. <laughs> I know how that feels. You ever go somewhere where you got to go through somebody to get somebody else and, and, and they relay you the bad news and you can't draw, you're like, let me talk to the manager. Let me talk to somebody really in charge. I'm tired of talking to you. I want to go straight to the source. But she's not bold to do that because her spirit is absolutely humble. But somehow her heart full of faith won't listen to no from the disciples, and she makes her way to Jesus. It says, verse 25, but, <laughs> but she came. In other words, even though the disciples were kind of set up as a, as a barrier to Jesus in this instance, she broke through. What did she do when she broke through? Did she got protest signs? Jesus is a racist. He is a racist. He don't like Canaanite women. No, you know what she did? She absolutely humbled herself. She came and knelt before him. She ain't shouting at him, pointing her finger. You better do something for me. No, she kneels before him and she begs. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. He challenged her. Hey, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, come on, y'all. <laughs> We don't like that. We don't like that. We don't like that. But we should. Let me tell you why. The difference between this woman, there's a great, this, this whole chapter is bringing out a contrast between this Canaanite woman and the Pharisees. They both come and approach Jesus. One comes to usurp authority over Jesus and to smack him down, to show him that he's wrong. He's wicked and he's sinful because he's gone against their traditions. This woman comes at these, these Pharisees are Jews. Paul called him, Paul himself was a Pharisee. He says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm big stuff and I know it but he didn't act like that once he got saved. This woman comes in full humility. So instead of being offended, being called a dog, the dog was a reference that they used to Gentiles. It's not a pleasant reference. And Jesus is testing her heart. I think he really tested her. Because when she came to him face to face, she says, hey, you know, I can't just take the bread that belongs to the children and throw it to the dogs. What does she say is amazing. First of all, you know it's amazing by Jesus' response. 
He's surprised by her faith. And obviously, as the son of God, omniscient, he's not surprised that she comes that way or that faith is in her. He wants other people to see this faith because this faith is totally contrast to, to the arrogance that the Pharisees have. And the whole tenor, the whole way that Matthew is going, remember he went to his own hometown and he was disrespected there? And he's done all these miracles and they're still claiming he's doing that by the power of Satan himself. He, he's, he's getting all this, but this poor little Canaanite woman who's not even a part of Israel says, Lord, help me. And he says, well, we got a problem. I can't just take the bread that's supposed to be to the children and throw it to the dogs. And she says, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. What's she saying? You know, children can be picky eaters. You can get them the best of food and they don't even recognize it and don't eat it and don't realize what a good, great meal that they're getting. But I know it, Lord. And I'm willing to just, just give me the crumbs. Just a little, that's all I need is a little bit of crumbs. That's why Jesus says, woman, your faith. Woo! That's what he's saying. Your faith. And he's saying that in front of the disciples so they'll know what's going on. He's like, do you, you know this woman? She ain't from Israel. She didn't demand nothing of me. She begged, not for the bread. We ought to have bread just like the Jews have bread. We equal. Yeah, they equal. But she didn't put herself there. She said, when it comes to getting something from God, I deserve absolutely nothing. The difference between her is that she recognized that, and the Jews didn't recognize it. They don't deserve nothing either. God says in Deuteronomy, don't ever get to the place where you think, I blessed you because of you. I blessed you because of me. In other words, I'm sovereign in deciding who I'm going to choose to myself. And whoever I choose, I choose by my grace, not your goodness or your righteousness. It's just harder for the Jews to recognize that. So Jesus drives this point home through this Canaanite woman. It's like Jesus doesn't have to preach any sermon. He just pulls out that this woman was already in her for all to see. And she says, Lord, I don't deserve nothing. But coming from you, I don't need that much. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a crumb. And I'm a dog waiting for whatever can fall off the table that the kids don't even care about. They pushing off the floor. You know how, you, you know, you put a, 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 a little toddler in the high chair and you say, it's got a big tray because you know how they're going to eat. You give them the best of food. They love the pizza, but the pizza is all over the place and have the pizza falling on the floor, wherever. And they enjoying it, I guess, but they don't appreciate. They haven't had a drought. They haven't had to go without. They haven't been excluded from a group. This woman, not mad, she fully appreciates the grace of God. Both Jew and Gentile are saved by the grace of God. None deserve it. This woman fully appreciates that grace. And Jesus is making a point with her. He says to her, O woman, great is your faith. And you got what you asked for. It says instantly that moment her daughter was healed. Story ain't over yet. There's still more connection. Now I'm going to do that in about three minutes. Three minutes time, I'm going to wrap up this chapter connected. Jesus heals many. They were coming to him from all over, and he's healing. So he's still showing 
this grace to show, to display his power over all who are diseased. So we see that in, in, in verse 29 all the way through 31. The crowd wondered, he said, when they saw the move speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seen, and they glorified the God of Israel. And then we have the story about Jesus feeding the 4,000. They're in a desolate place, and Jesus, by his command, creates a need or a crisis. He says, verse 32, I am unwilling to send them away hungry. Wouldn't have had a problem if he was willing to send them away. But because he's unwilling, now we got to do something. And so the disciples are like, well, what's that mean? Where are we going to get food to feed all these, all these people? And, and so he says, what do you have? What do you have? Now, there's a reason for asking for what do they have. Give an account for what they have. And what they have is seven loaves, right? Seven loaves and a few small fish. Jump to the end of the story. After he, eat, after he feeds the five, excuse me, the 4,000 in this case, they, it says... In verse 37, they all ate and were satisfied. How many was it that ate? All of them. They counted the crowd. It was 4,000 plus women and children, so a lot of people. They all ate and they all were satisfied, right? They started with seven loaves and a few fish. What did they end up with? It says, verse 37, they all ate and were satisfied and they took up Seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. I think it's something about those last two words, left over. Left over. I think it's something. I think it connects us with this chapter in this way. Jesus shows that he satisfies these hungry people they have more left over than they had it as their initial resource after they fed everybody. They started with seven loaves and a few fish. They ended up with seven baskets full of leftovers. He did that to show that he is more than sufficient to meet their need. He showed them the leftovers to prove that. I'll talk later on. I won't have time in this message to talk about the process that he used. But here, just to highlight those leftovers, that connects to the Canaanite woman. She was willing to take the leftovers of the crumbs that fell off the table, knowing that that would, knowing that that would be sufficient her. Jesus says, I am sufficient to meet your needs. Add it up. <laughs> Find out what you got. You got nothing. This is, that's all we got is these seven, seven loaves and a few fish. But this crowd, are you kidding me? That's not going to get us anywhere. In other words, it was, it was, they were assured that what they had was insufficient for the task at hand of feeding that crowd. Jesus wanted them to know that. That's why he asked them to count it. I think Jesus might be asking you to count. Take the report from the doctor and find out that the doctor can't do what you need done. Take a look at the bank statement on one end and the bills piled up on the other end and let it be known that you can't do it. You don't just need a financial counselor. You need a financial miracle. He wants you to know that because he's going to do something. And when he works, he works in a way 
that he takes what you have, blesses it, and provides what you need. He's showing what you have is insufficient, and he, his work is providing what's needed. I talked about the leftovers. The leftovers speak a story. This Canaanite woman said, Lord, just give me a piece, a crumb of the leftovers, and I'll be okay. In other words, she had the faith to know that in her analogy, what her daughter needed was just a little bit. Jesus needed to speak a little word, and a demon would be gone. Her problem will be solved. It will be resolved just a little bit. That's how powerful, that's how great our God is. We come to him, and he is sufficient to meet our needs. We can get frustrated trying to meet those needs on our own. That woman could not heal her daughter or have that demon stop oppressing. This crowd could not feed itself. The disciples could not feed them themselves. Jesus is the, is, is, is the key to all of this, and he is more than sufficient. What are you to learn? There's not a problem in your life, a circumstance in your life that Jesus is not sufficient to work in. Look around you. If you let people open their mouths, they'll let you know from all over this room right here that Jesus has met the needs of his people. First and foremost, their spiritual need. He has met those coming out of every type of circumstance. Every one of us. And as we come out of those circumstances, may we recognize whether we come from the Pharisees' lifestyle or whether we come from the Canaanite land, we need Jesus. He's saying you got to humble yourself wherever you come from. He came to save Jew and the Gentile. Don't let your Jewish heritage get you in the way of trusting Jesus. We thank you for your word today, Lord. We thank you for opening our eyes to you, letting us see you. Pharisees couldn't see that. They wouldn't see it. But this poor Canaanite woman, <laughs> it was very clear to her. The disciples struggled with it. How are you going to do this? How is this going to happen? Move this lady. Send her on. We can't deal with this anymore. But Lord, in your love and in your patience, you ministered to that crowd who was hungry. You ministered to this one woman. You exposed her faith so that we could see that we're not deserving of anything that comes from you, but you graciously give, and all that you give is sufficient for us. May we praise you. May we worship you. May we trust you your son, without wavering, and live our lives to glorify you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.